But this Christmas was darker, less cheerful. But I still believed in Santa, in magic and miracles, and the hope that we could find joy again. But our village had given up on miracles and on each other. They had forgotten the spirit of Christmas, the sacrifice of giving. I tried to help them to believe again, but we were no longer the loving family I remembered. They too had given up, and eventually so did I. I wished for them to go away. And that night, in the darkness of a howling blizzard, I got my wish. Welcome to another fun-filled episode of The Fear of God. We are so happy that you are here. We are exploring every single week the intersection between faith and the horror genre, and having that exploration with you right now is Mr. Reed Lackey. Now, typically, one Mr. Nathan Rouse is also here with me, but he got some really bad news, and for those of you who are out here in the world, you I'm about to give you some really bad news, too. Nathan finally found out that there is no Santa Claus. And he was so upset. He was so outraged by the whole thing that this whole story had just been fed to him all of his life. And so he was so outraged by the whole thing. He just abandoned all of Christmas spirit. And so his friends told him that there was no Santa Claus. And so he just went out and he was like kicking over little, you know, plastic Santas that he saw on people's lawns. He was slashing big Frosty the Snowman with these these tires, whatever. And to be honest with you, I haven't heard from him ever since. Like, I don't know if he's just if, if it was just such a blow that he's just decided not to not to return to the world of the of, you know, the common everyday man or what. I don't I don't quite know, but he took it really, really hard. So uh, I'm not really sure what the history of the show or the future of the show looks like now. But uh, in the meantime, for what we've done before, um, we would really appreciate it if you could go and leave us um, a rating, particularly a five star rating and a glowing review. If you have that time, we greatly appreciate those of you who have done that. Um, 
Um, and if you have not done that, we would greatly appreciate you doing that. Um, but uh, in the meanwhile, I'm just going to kind of hang out here. I've got a little bit of eggnog. I've got a little bit of... Uh, oh! Nathan! Breathe. Nathan! Breathe. What happened, man? You've got Is cuts... It- yeah, I mean, you know, someone was talking about Santa and saying he wasn't real, and I was like, oh, but he is real, and he's got to be real. And, you know, I was just like, I know. You know what? You know what? He he. There is a Santa Claus, Virginia Rouse. There is. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Reed, you know what? I, despite my mother's, most fervent desires really don't care for the Polar Express. Oh, oh, I see. Yes. feel like it wants to foist a new religion upon me. Oh. I watched Krampus and I was like, there is a Santa. <laughs> it is real and I'm fine with it and I'm totally okay with it. It'll do, it'll do that to you. It'll do that to you. Speaking and of- I wiped my eyes. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself here. So uh, speaking of uh, Polar Express, uh, I've never been a huge fan of that movie, more for technical elements than narrative ones, although th- I do think it's a little clunky narratively. But last year, uh, as part of our trip back to North Carolina, we went, there is a, a place, and I am uh, feel bad I didn't actually prepare to talk about this, but... I forget the name of the city, but there's a city up in the mountains of North Carolina where they actually have the Polar Express. It's just an old Smoky Mountain Railroad, and they transform it uh, every holiday season into the Polar Express, where they basically do the movie, and they, they play things out. The major beats of the narrative from the train standpoint is displayed. You get a little book uh, that is the story. You get some hot chocolate and some commemorative mugs and everything. And so we did that as a as a family. And at the end, Santa comes aboard the train and goes and talks to all the little kids. And let me tell you, like my little son having a conversation, sitting there with Santa aboard the Polar Express, like I was... There's there's some magic in in all of those sorts of celebrations that yeah we 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 don't necessarily have to get into all of that right now but yeah it it, it was enough to make me to sort of endear the movie to me just for that experience even though objectively I don't really care for the movie but it it was it was enough to just be like oh I'm I'm glad it's there I'm glad it exists <laughs> well it's funny uh, I can't remember if we've talked about this in previous Christmas episodes but. We don't hold this against me if if not you read you, we've had these conversations over the years, but listeners, we were real unsure parents about what we wanted to do about Santa, hmm. and initially sincerely played it down, and my mom got real mad at me, and it wasn't like we were explicitly just telling our children, no, you know this is right, a right. real thing, but we weren't elevating it either, and had some some peer compatriots in this endeavor and I'll never forget like I don't know four years ago at this point our children at a preschool event Santa comes out you know the preschool has hired a Santa yeah and they're and they're like see we told you (laughs) and I was like fine whatever you know well we're we're you know don't get mad at me in 30 years but that said I do feel much more on board with the wonder inherent and it is it i don't know how y'all are but it's a tricky conversation i mean on the way home from school today my kids were bringing it up and the 
mm. the mm. the fig the figment or reality of it, and I dodge those questions, and it's like, what do you think? And and then right, quickly train right. quickly change the subject and offer them ice cream. No, really, that actually happened. Um, <laughs> That's how we handle hard conversations in the Rouse household. <laughs> we just ignore them and throw sugar at them. <laughs> <laughs> here, here have some sweets quick quick don't think too hard about it um quick look over there anyway hey yeah. buddy hey buddy well listen man next week is christmas and uh i oh want to i know we're normally going to uh you know normally we say this at the end we will say it again at the end of this but this is probably your last week if you have not yet uh, done your homework listeners uh next week we are going to be and and this is the first time this has happened in the show our episode will drop on christmas day so our episode will air on december 25th so Please, by all means, if you have not yet begun to read Charles Dickens' classic novel, A Christmas Carol, please acquaint yourself with that, because that is next week's episode. We are going to be talking about the text of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, not any particular adaptation of A Christmas Carol. You can, by all means, there's a thousand adaptations of it in various forms, um, but our episode will focus on the text. So if you've not ever read that or have not read it in a long time, I would strongly encourage you to read it. Yes, most adaptations are faithful, but there's still a lot to the text that uh, we'll probably be diving into. So it's very brief. Check it out. Do your homework, and we'll see you next week. So yeah, next week is is Christmas, brother. Jeez. Well, I don't know if you've said this yet. We are, in fact, um, it's cold in North Carolina, and so I don't know. Maybe my ears are frozen shut. But um, <laughs> uh, we are at our... <laughs> Our favorite word here, our penultimate episode yeah. of our current series, What the Dickens. And read, dude, last week we had we hosted a filmmaker on oh, our show. Oh my gosh, we've never Thank done that before. Thank you so much to Chris Peckover, of, uh, director and co-writer of Better Watch Out, for showing up, hanging out, offering some insight, and just participating in a really fun conversation. That was awesome. Oh, absolutely. We had a lot of fun. We're really appreciative to him for taking the time, especially because it was short notice, but uh, we had a really great conversation. Go check out that film and go check out that that conversation. Uh, check out the film first because we spoil everything. We spoil things about it that you do not want spoiled if you have not seen the film. But uh, yes, please, by all means, go check out Better Watch Out and then listen to our conversation with Chris Peckover, a great guy, and we were really happy to have him on. Hey, I'm really, this is a random interlude that I didn't brief you for, but I'm kind of jealous of the fact that you're like wearing normal indoor clothes right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you're out there in 20 below zero weather in North Carolina. Well, it's not that extreme, but read. So, I'm wearing like 10 articles of clothing right now, and I'm not totally. I'm wearing two pairs of socks. Oh my god! I'm wearing two pairs of pants. I'm wearing. Uh, two shirts. Oh my gosh! A, a thin pullover hoodie, and a large winter coat. <laughs> and on top of that, I shit you not, I have a <laughs> heating pad in my lap like an old lady. All right, no, I have a I heating understand. pad. My wife handed me the heating. My wife handed me a heating pad and a a surge protector to go out. To the All, right. All right, all right. So, <laughs> you are prepared. I am. I mean, I'm not I wasn't prepared for this, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Sure, we? sure. Well, uh well, by all means, let's let's get into it then. So, uh so before we get uh into our episode this week, which is going to be on uh Michael Doherty's Krampus, Nathan, 
We have something else to discuss. What you watching? Oh. What you reading? Oh. What you listening to? Oh. Read, watch, watch, and li- read and listening to. <laughs> <laughs> I love how it's all melodic and held out and is. What you <laughs> Jumbling all those words into three seconds. Oh, man. All right. Well, uh, I'll go first. So I have two brief ones. I don't need to talk too much about it, but we, uh, at the time of this recording, uh, so a little bit of time travel here at the Fear of God, as we're apt to do. Um, it's earlier in December when we're recording this right now, and uh, I just put up the Christmas decorations this past weekend and watched A Muppet Christmas Carol while doing that and that was really delightful and wonderful and i absolutely adore that film that that's one of my very favorite adaptations of the story that we're going to be covering next week um so i just wanted to mention that in passing but i also watched a movie and i'm gonna i'm gonna bring this subject up uh the movie is divisive among uh christians for some reasons that'll be uh, some reasons that'll be apparent in in a moment but uh is it batman versus superman yes Yes, it is. Um, so I it's watched. Been a while. It has been a while. Um, so I watched a film that hit Netflix, and actually, I didn't uh, think to look up the movie to to know the director. Um, it was a director that I wasn't familiar with, but the film is called Come Sunday, um, and it's on Netflix. Have you heard anything about this film? No. Okay, so I just watched this film. It, it stars. Uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Uh, mm. And so it starts. Oh, is this the Creflo Dollar movie? Not Creflo Dollar, but or what's his name? Uh, so you his, know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Carlton yeah. Pearson. Uh, yes. There we go. So yeah, so yeah, it's the movie about him uh, and his uh, coming to to an epiphany, believing God spoke with him, and and uh, shifted from the traditional fundamental evangelical doctrine over to the doctrine of inclusion, uh, which is similar to the idea of universalism. Um, he calls it inclusion, but but essentially saying, no, there is no hell, everybody is saved. And the film obviously deals with some ideological problems, but the film, as I under, as I sort of received it, was more just about him and about him trying to cope with the fallout from his shift in his beliefs and and uh the film in some ways uh sort of played around in the extremities in a way that I think they could have nuanced some character beats a little bit better but I was also surprised at how sort of full-bodied some elements and some people were portrayed uh in the film but it's a, it's a fascinating whether or not you agree with that ideological sentiment um I would recommend the film I will I will put a little asterisk on it that the film is very deliberately paced um i.e. Some viewers slow. may find it slow. Yeah, exactly. Um, but apart from that, um, I, I found it a very fascinating movie, at times very emotionally gripping. Um, and uh, and particularly, Nathan, I think you would find it very interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it, so that that's one of the things that I had just recently watched, finally came around to Come Sunday on Netflix. Are you are you calling me a universalist? I'm, I'm not saying anything. I, I, I say those are... Theological fighting words. I thought no, I, no. I, I said you thought you'd like the movie. I know, I know, I know. I'm just playing with you. Uh, so, I mean, anyway. I might be. I'm, I might be. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's funny. I wasn't gonna bring this up, but you're commenting on this made me think of. I reference it often, but the Bible for normal people. I just listened today 
their most recent episode, Pete Enns, who is one of the primary hosts or one of the co-hosts um, on there, it was a solo episode of his where he specifically spends an hour. I don't, I have not read this. Um, I don't totally want to give them clicks, whatever, but there's a particular blog post out there um, that is heavily endorsed by some fundamental yet widely accepted organizations that um, he just sort of tackles and not Mm. in a cynical, not in a combative, not in an attacking way. It's very sensitive, but it's just really, I don't know if you're like this. I think you are though. I'll give you credit and presume you are just sort of, I, I like to think I'm bright, but when you listen to like a really smart person engage on topics that you at least find interesting, even though if you're not like totally understanding everything. Sure. Right. Regardless, the most recent Bible for normal people, I would encourage people to check out. Well, I'll say this. He's tackling a blog post that basically, I think the title of which was more or less the similarities between progressive Christians and atheists. So it's this real pejorative kind of piece that's like basically saying if you're a progressive Christian, you're one step away from being an atheist. And so you're commenting on um, Carlton Pearson's story is what directly made me think of that because the author of this blog post would probably surely think he is an atheist um, or on his way to being one. Right. Um, But that is not what I wanted to throw out there. I did want to comment briefly because we haven't on here yet. Both of us saw, uh, I will bring up, uh, Fantastic Beasts 2. I don't know what we're calling it for shorthand. FB2 COG. <laughs> yeah, like FB2 COG. BBS DOJ. Um, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I love I love the mind of J.K. Rowling and much of her narrative output in the world. Um, right now, I'm not a massive fan of these two movies. I am pretty interested in the story they're telling, and I like to really like aspects of them, but overall without real intentionality on my part and multiple more viewings i'm not like these are awesome so right right that's kind of my well kind I of see- my just sort of cursory cursory opinion on fb2cog <laughs> i actually enjoyed it more than i thought i would um fantastic beasts i was pretty excited for i watched the it the first one yeah the first one right, i was right. pretty excited for i enjoyed it um, and I, I just love the Wizarding World so much, yes, and yes, so yes. so any opportunity to sort of you know revisit that world and sort of deepen the mythology, I'm completely on board for, very excited about. But uh, distance and time have not uh, been kind to Fantastic Beasts, just in terms of my wanting to revisit it, uh, the first one again. Uh, so right. my expectations were pretty curbed for Crimes of Grindelwald, and admittedly, like, I I could acknowledge there's some complaints about it out there that I'm like, yeah, I I kind of agree with that, but I actually wound up enjoying it a lot more, becoming a lot more emotionally invested in the, specifically in the final third of it than I expected to be, and I will say, and this is going to sound like a backhanded compliment, but... I was surprised by Johnny Depp. I felt like Johnny Depp delivered a much stronger, more subtle performance than I had seen him deliver in recent, you know, maybe the last since the Pirates movies. So, uh, so yeah, there's there was elements to it that I really appreciated. I still don't think they reached the heights of the core Harry Potter films, but I, I, there's some things yes. I really appreciated. And I and I should nuance that. I mean, I gave what seemed like a very half-hearted commentary there, and it's and I. 
I suppose that actually isn't a really bad way to consider it. It's half-hearted. My heart is very much in it, but I can't decide, <laughs> you know, to what level. Sure. Um, and and I, I'm anxious because I do think the story is strong. I think what the, the story that's trying to be told here is a very interesting one for fans of that world and that mythology. And I'm with you, dude. Like, it seems stupid, but the probably about five years old now, if not maybe a little longer, but it's only really been on my radar for that time. Even just the stupid logo, right? The Wizarding mm. World. Oh, like, yeah, with emblem. all the wands. Like, that's oh. so awesome. Yeah, the wand that forms a book. Yeah, like, okay, that's awesome. Oh, it's um, fantastic. You know, I just think, yeah, the, the movies could be a little better, but the story is pretty interesting. Sure. Regardless, that has been another installment of what you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to finish off the little coda there. I know. I know. It's not a, I try to keep you on your toes. You sure do. You sure do. I thought, I thought that might do it. So, yeah, we are finally covering. You know, it's really funny. We had a listener. I hope he still listens. But we had a listener who, uh, I, I mean, I hope he still listens. I don't know if he does or not because I haven't, I haven't heard him reach out to us in, in some time. But uh, we had a listener who, uh, when we did our very first Christmas and we covered Gremlins for our very first Christmas here at the Fear of God, we we announced that we were going to be covering Gremlins, and we uh, we had a listener at the time that was like, "I'm just glad it's not Krampus." Not because <laughs> not because he didn't like Krampus. He said he enjoyed Krampus, but at the time, Krampus was a recent film, and so everybody was talking mm. about Krampus. And so, um, but it was because I think Krampus was only a year old at that point, and so lots of Christmas horror themed things were you know diving into Krampus. And it's like, I'm just glad it's not Krampus. Blah blah blah. So well, here we are, two years later. Um, we are finally talking in this hashtag what the Dickens series we covered black Christmas for Christmas past better watch out last week for Christmas present. And now we are finally into, although it, you know, it starts kind of in the present. I think it's a bit, you know, time nebulous, particularly towards the end. Um, we have Christmas horror future with Michael Doherty's 2015 film Krampus. You had never seen this before, right? I had never seen this before. Had you, had you ever heard of it? Oh yeah, yeah. And in fact, in fact, I remember seeing trailers for it and thinking that looks stupid. Um, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> let it never be said that I am unwilling to eat crow. Um, I understand. So, dude, I I was like, I was affected mm. by Krampus. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, man. Like I, she didn't ask me about it, but like. After the movie, I'm in, you know, I turn it off and like, I mean, I'll own it, man. I was a little teary at the end. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, just kind of, I felt like my innards were a snow globe. That's the image <laughs> of the movie. And, and right. I'd, I'd been kind of shaken up and, you know, I was just much more kind to my wife, you know, and like, I don't know, for the next 12 hours, I was very much in this like, no, Krampus, you're not gonna get me. Headspace. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you even texted I, me I, like the next morning, kind of to this yeah. effect. I won't say what you said, but yeah, like to like to that effect of just you know being very affected what? by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Did I? What did I say? Are you are you concealing something? I'm not concealing anything. I just don't remember the exact, oh, okay, the okay. exact wording. So. I didn't know if you were like, I'll let you say it, but I'm like, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. No, um, just something to the effect that you that you were more moved by it and affected by it than you expected to be. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, we'll get into particulars, but ultimately, I was I was I was very taken by what Krampus had to offer the movie right that was the movie right, right, right. <laughs> not the not the underworld king or whatever sure is. well one of the things that i so this director has only directed one other feature he's done a number of other smaller things i think he's directed a couple of tv episodes and some short films but his only other feature was uh trick or treat but the r instead of or it's like r with a little apostrophe have you heard of that film trick or treat no, i don't i don't think so uh, Trick or Treat is great. It's an anthology film. Uh, just to refresh listeners who may not understand what I mean, it means that it's a, a series of compartmentalized stories that are threaded together with a larger sort of frame story. But for the most part, it's a film made up of three or four smaller short films. And Trick or Treat is great. It was from 2007. Uh, maybe there's a world in which we'll eventually get to it. We, that's likely. Uh, but Trick or Treat is wonderful. So I came in with a lot of like director capital, really liking that film and really wanting to see kind of what he had to give me. Um, it's funny because the first time around, I was somewhat... I won't say ambivalent. Ambivalent is not the right word. I wasn't like enamored or bowled over by this film the first time viewing it. Uh, tipping my hand a little bit. This of second, Krampus or of Trick or Treat? Of Krampus. Okay. Um, tipping my hand a little bit. This second time around, man, it sucked me in, held me, and I was I was very affected myself. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's the different context in which I watched it. I don't know. But uh, but yeah, I have. I have a lot now of uh, of praise to heap upon it, as it were. Why don't we just dive right into? I don't. I don't really have much in the way of trivial bits, um, which I'll you know I guess I'll apologize to the listeners for. But there's 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 not a lot that I uncovered. Oh wait, I lied. <laughs> I lied. Did you hear the line? So this is for all my Calvin and Hobbes fans out there. Did you hear the line that she said? Uh, that that uh, Max is not invited over to the I forget which neighbors it was, but like Max is not invited over to the neighbor's house because of the noodle incident. Did you no, did you catch uh, that? Yes, I don't have any context for that. Yeah, so she said she said he's not invited back over to the house for the noodle incident. I don't know if this was intentional. I really don't know. I have to. It's so specific. I think that it was intentional, but the noodle incident is a a running gag in Calvin and Hobbes cartoon strips that Calvin is not allowed to go certain places or do certain things because of the noodle incident. And they well, never that's funny. And in the run of Calvin and Hobbes they never explained what it was or what happened. Oh, and that and, seems pretty direct. Yeah. And then like in this film they never talk about like what the noodle incident was. But yeah, I mean I'm like that that has to be like a call out to a Calvin and Hobbes thing. So shout out to all my Calvin and Hobbes comic strip lovers out there for the noodle incident. Um well, thank you for sharing your noodle during the bits. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, no, <clears throat> I mean you did it. Um, <laughs> so this is not so much a trivial bit as just a fun little anecdote, or actually maybe a sad anecdote. I don't know. But this whole opening scene, like, is so like terrible. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And it reminded me of the world of, or it made me recall at least. Remember the Shelby Mall? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow, taking me well, way back. 
Mm-hmm. Well, circa 1999, there was a KB Toys in that mall. And your boy got some seasonal employment at the KB Toys. <laughs> That's awesome. And No, it really wasn't, actually. Um, <laughs> You're like, I hated it. Well, see, up until that point, I had, I mean, I worked through much of high school and it was at a Christian bookstore because that was me. Um, even then I was just, I was just a good little Christian boy, not like Carlton Pearson in his heretical <laughs> ways. Wow. Um, not to be confused with Creflo Dollar, it was two different people. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I worked at KB Toys and I rem- I have this astonishing recollection, especially we all know my ability to recall things of that Christmas. And it was one of the first years Pokemon video games were big. And I remember these moms getting into it at the register because of the shortage of Pokemon video games. Oh no. I have this distinct memory of that. Anyway. So yeah, watching this sequence at the top of the film of what is, I guess ostensibly meant to be like a black Friday or just like a major pre-Christmas shopping spree that is just, you know, you paint that in kind of a horror movie and all the slow motion, dreadful, terrible things people do in the name of consumerism. Um, <laughs> it's it's a pretty rough scene to watch. Um, so I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm worried that the moment's going to come and I'm not going to have good words for all the things this movie made me feel but if someone's like nathan's awful awful subdued it's really just like i'm a snow globe shook up and <laughs> i don't know where to vomit all my stuff <laughs> so it's gonna go on read um yeah <laughs> on pure just like surface level stuff i don't know how to pronounce his last name but the actor's first name is david and it's dave keckner who plays the okay keckner mm-hmm Reed, I know he's got a certain kind of talent that people continue to cast him, and I'm not even knocking that clearly he appeals to a different... I cannot stand. Really? Guy. Really? When he comes on screen. Yes, he annoys me so much. Oh, man, I like him quite um, a bit. That's interesting. Really? Yeah, I oh, like him a lot. Yeah, I like him a lot. Now, part of it, I, I will... Like, ca- like... Like Stranger Things two, kind of like him, like a thing that's liked that I liked Stranger really Things two a lot. <laughs> have that really doesn't have merit to be liked. Is that what you're saying? I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, it's been fun while it lasts. <laughs> you will never get to hear what the, the... Dickens. <laughs> so, um, no, no, no. Part of it to contextualize a little bit, and now I'm remiss to remember the name of the podcast but there was a podcast that was uh, that I think has ended now because uh Dave Keckner was on it and was he because of his schedule was not able to continue to be on it and I don't know what the podcast evolved into or if it just ended but he was on it with another uh friend of his and they were discussing being a dad because Dave Keckner has like five children and so it was but the podcast was about how, you know, like being a dad, the struggles of being a dad and just, you know, just understanding parenting in modern context and stuff like that. And so listening to that podcast, I had always just sort of been like, oh, yeah, here's a guy. He does a thing and that's whatever. But listening to that podcast and just sort of hearing him in the real strongly endeared me to him. So now well, even. It, yes. 
That's yeah. different. Yeah. And so, yes. like, now, even if I see him in something and may have differing opinions uh, or varied opinions about his particular performance or, his, you know, what he's doing, I see him on screen and I just, again, I just go back to his time on that podcast and just really, really like him. I just enjoy him a lot. So, yeah. Yes. And I, I think he's just got a very specific performance lane he drives in. Sure. It's not one that I often you know veer into sure sure regardless that's 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 random but so again real surface stuff um did you notice aunt whatever her name is shows up and she's like christ on a stick i did and i thought man oh man nathan better you know call out to the christs of king so i was like yeah well in this case the the christs of krampus non-existent (laughs) but there you go um well actually okay so backing up david keckner this this works against him i can't stand in real life, when people use the phrase, a shepherd's got to protect his flock, I really hate it. Oh, man, so they used un- it like seven times in yes, this movie. Yes, they do. And despite that, I still was incredibly endeared to this movie. <laughs> um, starting to, well, what, 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 are your, what are some likes, dislikes you have? Okay, so, I, well, I think the opening scene, kind of tragic as it is, is really perfect for setting up sort of what this film is exploring. I think it's a pitch-perfect Sort of like, yeah, we're going to this very lovely old Bing Crosby tune and juxtaposed to images of people like having to be tased because they cannot control themselves during Black Friday shopping. And and uh, and so just all these different things and and the the sort of violence of it all. And uh, for those who, who don't know and haven't seen the movie, it opens with a montage purely set to, you know, silently set to. Bing Crosby's it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas but the images of people like trampling over everybody in a in a department store and culminating in one of our main characters like getting into a fist fight in a nativity scene and and so yeah it's it's just it's this weird sort of yeah this is Christmas time but there's a lot going on I really think that that's part of what sucked me in is as I was watching this I was like oh yeah we're really dealing with this whole what is Christmas and what should it be. I feel like the first 30 minutes of this movie, if you go into it knowing like, oh, this is a horror film, and the the first 30 minutes is surprisingly like, I'm going to use the word sentimental, not to say that it's like saccharine or sugary sweet or whatever, but there's, there's a lot of sentiment at play in the opening 30 minutes of this film. And uh, I love the moment with like the grandmother and Max, like some of those some of those little touches. Mm-hmm. He he asks if she still believes in Santa Claus and everything. And and there's just there's a tone that this film strikes right up top that is very disarming if you are expecting to go into some uh, cynical, yes. biting little you know Christmas yes. story. And you know it, it, basically the premise to give a brief summary, and then we'll then I'll bounce it back to you. The premise is is that this family is getting together. Uh, it's not quite Christmas Eve. It's like the day before Christmas Eve, or you know, there's yeah, I think it's the day before Christmas Eve, like the twenty second or twenty third. And uh, so this family is getting together, but the family is pretty dysfunctional. And in fact, the uh, you know the sister shows up with the brother in law and all the kids, and they are uh, they've brought Aunt Dorothy, who's who's pretty obnoxious and whatever. And, uh, oh, there's a moment that I'll mention in that first 30 minutes in just a second. But they're getting together, and suddenly Max, who is a little on the older side, but still believes in Santa Claus and still writes a letter to Santa every year. Well, his cousins latch into that, and they really very much are like, okay, we're going to tease him for this. 
and we're going to make fun of him for, you know, all of this, all of these sort of elements, these sort of things. And so they read his letter to Santa Claus, and it, obviously they're very mocking of him, but what he asked Santa for that year was things like for his mom and dad to fall back in love again, uh, to help Aunt Linda and, and Howard, you know, to, to help them get back up on their feet. He asked for a lot of very benevolent things. He asked for some very sweet things of Santa, and they ridicule him for it, and admittedly, when they're reading the letter, he's sort of, you know, there's a somber tone that sort of washes over everything, but it quickly devolves into, like, they break out in a little fist fight and everything, and it, it all doesn't go well. He gets so upset that instead of mailing the letter to Santa, he rips it up and throws it out into the wind, unknowingly and accidentally summoning the spirit of Krampus, which is like the shadow of Santa Claus, uh, who comes into people who have stopped believing in the spirit of Christmas um, and basically claims them, if you will. So the remainder of the movie past that point is they're coming to an awareness of Krampus's sort of predatory nature of them and trying to defend themselves against him. That's the that's the premise uh, in a snow globe, as it were. Uh, so and we'll we'll get to that ending uh, eventually, I'm sure. So, uh, but that's the premise of it. That having been said, those first twenty to twenty five minutes again, just strikes a, a really different sort of tone. Even Aunt Dorothy, this is what I was going to mention earlier, even Aunt Dorothy, she comes in and she's griping and moaning every single step of the way about being there and having to be there and all of these frustrations. While she's griping about that and, and being frustrated by it, then the mom, uh, played by Tony Collette, she just goes off on her. She's like, well, why don't we go to your trailer next year for Christmas? And then after you've spent weeks cooking and cleaning and preparing and, and, re and getting ready to have company, I'll go in and complain about everything that you do, uh, that you slaved so hard to work for. And here's what I like about it. Aunt Dorothy takes that. Like, she, she recognizes, like, oh, crap, I've done. And she even says, like, hey, wait a minute. You know, like, it registers to her that she's being, you know, super cruel in her criticism and in her obnoxiousness about this. And it's little touches like that in this first half hour that I really appreciated this time around because I think a different film uh, would have tr just sort of dug into the cynicism of it and just would have made that another punchline or something. But this film is aware of the heart at which it's sort of driving towards. So anyway, that's just that's just a couple of notes about that. And I really loved that. Uh, everything that's tied into that, I loved that about this film. You know, what you just said made me think of, um, honestly, our our guest last week, Mr. Chris Peckover. Uh, <laughs> he was talking about archetypes. And I think you just, you just um, sort of illuminated this really well. Like, this movie presents a very archetypal setup. Right, right. And yet, almost as soon as it kicks off the wall, starts to dive deeper and deeper away from those single-dimensional archetype setups. Sure. And I think you really nailed something there with, because let this never, ever be confused for a Hallmark Christmas movie, but, or Lifetime or whatever channel you want to pick, <laughs> but the lack of cynicism is so profound. And mm. I think maybe that's, because the first, because the opening sort of Black Friday thing, or, well, I guess, yeah, you made a good point there. It's the first date you see on screen, I think, is the 23rd. So, 12, you know, December 23rd. Um, but the first, the first moment I really got a taste of 
where the movie was trying to nestle emotionally is Max's pleading with his parents and family before the extended family shows up to watch Charlie Brown Christmas and wrap gifts. Oh, yeah, right, right. And this is what I'm talking about. It's stuff like that that you're like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that I'm emotionally ready for where this movie may take me. Um, Sure, sure. And then you have the wrenching dinner table sequence. Yeah. uh, yeah. Which, again, you're playing with these very surface-level archetypes, but starting to sort of barrel through the crust and enamel and into the deeper heart of so here's a thematic idea that i don't necessarily want to unpack right now but i just wrote this down a second ago i said in response to your kind of commentary about cynicism i said to me the heart of this movie is what if our emotional choices had consequences Mm. what if what if the ways we interacted whether it's walls we've erected or whether it's ways we've let ourselves be vulnerable whatever what if what, this movie's kind of playing with what are the consequences of these emotional choices we've made? And right, so I found that right. really, a really uh, compelling premise that I was totally unprepared for because I was like, ah, Krampus, what? Although, <laughs> you know, even before your recommendation, which holds a lot of weight, um, I, sh- I didn't know Tony Collette was in it. Um, I did know, I did remember Adam Scott being in it just from original trailers and stuff. But, you know, you don't get like someone like a Tony Collette if it's a real inch deep kind of piece. Right, right, you right, know? right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that alone is real a real sign of its if of its ambitions, if not its execution. Sure. Um, and then you have on just a very technical level. I'm still. I know I'm jumping all over here, but then on a technical level, in terms of likes, you've got that really lovely and fascinating animated interlude. Oh um, my gosh, where the grandmother tells the story? Yes. Good yes, lord, I love story. that sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this great moment. So the grandmother that Reed is referenced, they call her Omi, which is probably like German for grandmother. But um, I can't remember Adam if it's Scott's. German or Austrian, but it doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, 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 something like that. Some European country. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're geography people here <laughs> at the fear of God. Wow. <laughs> um, well, it's Adam Scott's mother. Um, she doesn't speak English 95% of her time on screen. Well, about two-thirds of the way through, once Calamity is striking this family in a real profound way, she tells the story of her encounter with Krampus, and it cuts to this extended, think kind of Deathly Hallows and the tale of the three brothers, this extended animated sequence. You like how I just did that? I, I do. I like it. Yep. In one episode. <laughs> um, happy Christmas. Um so it's got this really lovely extended animated sequence that, again, is just you're you're kind of not prepared for for what at least for me what you kind of thought the movie was going to be. It's like sure, oh wow this right. is a really fascinatingly deep kind of story here. Again, so technical stuff. The animated sequence is great. The creature design is fantastic. Oh yeah, no, it really is affecting because it's kind of this. It's almost like a hunchbacked sort of mound of a of a beast with these huge horns these antler horns coming out of its of its uh cloak and when you get close to it now something that i did not really recognize until seeing it the second time uh, it was this notion that it's actually we never really see its true face it's got this sort of uh it, krampus 
Yes, we never see Krampus's true face. It's got this sort of like twisted Santa Claus mask uh, over top of its face, and so we get hints of it with like the eye and stuff. But uh, but we never. Well, it's got this real prolonged tongue too. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and so it hadn't occurred. It hadn't occurred to me. Do you? And I'm not challenging you. It's just clicking with me that maybe you caught something I missed. But are you perceiving that? Because the 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 most you see its face is when Max is challenging it at the at the yes. lava yes. pit or whatever. Mm-hmm. Are you construing that that is a masked visage? That's what. Yeah, that's the what. It, that's the okay. way it looked to me because it looks as if the sort of surface, what you would perceive as like the skin layer, is raised up and shadows yeah. a little yeah. bit of the eyes underneath. And so, uh, so I mean, that's so creepy. I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess to, you know, you could say, well, that's just, that's just what it looks like. That's just what its eyes looks like. But it's sure caught, like, in this time around, it lo- it appeared to me as if it was this, this creature of some sort wearing a mask of which under it we see, like, the eyes and stuff. At least that's the way it appeared to me. Is this your second viewing? This is, yeah, I think, yeah, it's only my second viewing. I don't think I've seen this three times. This is only my second. Well, and I don't even mean just the creature design as far as Krampus himself. Where one of the few dings I'll give the movie on a technical level is I just don't love the CGI gingerbread men, but that's I mean, like, it's not like a this is terrible. It's just like ah, it's kind of sure, a shame. Sure, there wasn't a understood. better way to pull that off visually. But so so to contextualize this a little for the listener, if you're not going to watch this, um, at the top of the movie, once the in laws or the relatives show up, there's this giant uh, Santa bag, uh, you know, gift bag on the um, porch that the in that the relatives confuse for a delivery and right. so they bring it they bring it into the home well late in the movie a fire breaks out inside the house it's just chaos has ensued and crazy things are going on well the aunt thinking she's sort of trying to repackage or or examine um what was in that santa bag and what she thinks were gifts that have been torched uh, you come to realize everything that was in that bag was a, a deposit of Krampus's. It's these, mm. all these little, like think of, think of like little, gosh, how would you even describe this? Like they're effectively minions of Krampus, but it's all these different forms. It's this like well, yeah. doll baby faced sort of bird type creature. There's a giant Jack in the box. It's horrifying. Well, yeah, you have um, like twisted sort of other world versions of all of the things that you would typically see, like twisted versions sure. of elves, twisted versions of gingerbread cookies, twisted versions of, uh, you know, of that gigantic Jack in the box. You know, it's like you, you have what would normally be perceived as like the elements of St. Nicholas. You're now given sort of their, they're macabre, otherworldly versions of them, and that's what's populating his bag. One last surface thing, and then we can get further, further here. Uh, I cannot believe this movie is PG thirteen. Isn't that like, wild? Yeah, I yeah. I don't understand the rating system sometimes. <laughs> I, know, I know. I mean, I watch this movie now. I do understand it. I know some studio is like mass marketability. You know, I, I want the. Yes. The 14-year-olds, you know, kind of making out in the back row to be able to buy tickets to this movie. Um, so, yes, I get that. But in terms of tone, like, if you really dial in on this movie's wavelength, I'm like, this is R. This is hard R. Oh, yeah. This movie is scary, 
and it's devastating emotionally. Well, what's what's interesting? What's interesting about that? One bit. Of, I mean, I didn't mention this in trivial bits, but one bit of, in, of of knowledge I've gleamed over time is just that specifically citing you know the beginning of our what the dickens series black christmas and another film from the 80s called silent night deadly night um the studios were very reluctant to back krampus because they're like dark dark christmas does not work it usually is not a box office success and the reason that they finally said yes was we'll make it pg-13 they said we'll 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 obtain the pg-13 rating and they're like okay People will probably be more inclined to come see a PG-13, even if it is dark and macabre. And so that the 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 fact that they pushed for that rating, it makes me wonder, especially because Trick or Treat is an R-rated movie, makes me wonder if Michael Doherty wanted to go for the R, but couldn't get the film. I don't know this. I'm supposing a little bit. What I know is that they greenlit it on, Universal greenlit it on the PG-13 premise. Um, and so they had to possibly scale back certain things. But you're right. Like, it's still a, a tremendously dark and yeah, it's a, it's emotionally drenching in places, uh, which is surprising. It's a, it's essentially a horror comedy, but it's emotionally drenching. But say, I, I mean, and I'm not again like a minute ago. I'm not even like challenging what perhaps is the category, but I I think it's much more. It would it, I would not on its surface, having watched the whole of it, call that comedic whatsoever. Though I no. do understand, you know. I guess black comedy perhaps, but let me, let me real quick sort of contextualize the rest of the story. Cause people are like, Oh my God, what is wrong with Nathan? Uh, this happens every now and then. So, you know, as Reed alluded to a minute ago in his summary, the character Max, who's, uh, probably about 11 ish, um, shreds his Santa letter, hurls it out his upstairs bedroom window because his family is at each other's throats. Um, and it's sort of all the stereotypical kind of, ways families interact with holidays well unwittingly his having done so invites krampus to his neighborhood and so progressively from that moment on things get more harrowing and more harrowing as they go until ultimately one by one of this dozen or so characters everyone's getting picked off for various reasons both slightly comedic and and somewhat ominous and scary until Max is the literal last character left, which, you know, even watching it, you're like, of course, that makes sense. He's the one who, knowingly or not, uh, set these events in motion. He's the one who needs to be the have the hero's, hero's moment. And he comes back and he challenges Krampus while Krampus and all these dark minions are, you know, kind of having this uh, perverse kind of carnival in the snow. And, and he challenges Krampus and he's like, it's my fault you know, give everyone back, take me. Well, Krampus opens up, I mentioned a minute ago, this kind of lava hole or whatever. He opens up this kind of hole in the earth, as it were, like in the ground. It's It's got this lava look to it. And 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 maybe, I don't know about you, and we're, we're, we're right up at scarce here, so, so feel free. But to me, one of, amongst a myriad of the scariest moments in the movie is Max is, makes this real tearful entreaty, please, you know, Give them back. It's my fault. Take me. Right, right. And Krampus, like the 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 carnival, the freaky carnival has silenced Krampus with this long fingernailed finger. You know, kind of 
procures the tear from Max's face. You think, and I don't know if you felt this way, as a viewer, you're like, oh, is the Krampus magic about to happen? And this is how right, he right. kind of reverse the spell by pure sort of contrition, that kind of thing. Well, he takes this tear and starts laughing. And then mm-hmm. all, the, all the dark minions start laughing too. And then, I don't remember, there may be another beat or two here, but ultimately throws Max into this lava pit. And it kind of fades to black and cuts to a scene of Max waking up. And right. here, th- this is what, because on this PG-13 or R kind of, you know, straddle here, I kept thinking like, this is a bloodless sort of movie that's happening. Like literally you're not seeing any blood and all these are these people being killed or not. It's hard to know. Right. So it has this very kind of Hansel and Gretel type vibe to it. You know, it's kind of fairy tale sort of feel. Sure. Okay. Now Max is going to wake up. It was all a dream to teach him how to appreciate his family, which is exactly what you think is happening. He comes downstairs. He sees all the family uh, together and, and warm hearted towards each other in this den and gifts i think are being open but regardless it's just very warm hallmark type scene and he sits down between his parents and you can tell as he sits the longer he sits and it kind of the camera kind of hangs on him while all this sort of you know revelry is happening around him the camera hangs on him and his face starts to turn you know Mm -hmm. in this kind of sad way and this moment happens where quotes of his from earlier in the film start playing in his head and then it kind of the camera starts pulling out and each individual character let me pause here real quick yeah yeah i'm sorry go ahead the the only element you're leaving out is he opens a box and it's the krampus bell is is in there yeah and that's Uh, what starts what you're saying yes some imagery from throughout the film is omi has this little bell a little jingle bell type thing but it's old and weathered with the word krampus and uh, i suppose the, the full name of krampus written on it he is given a gift in this sort of dream sequence thing, opens it, it's the Krampus bell. That's when these quotes start reverberating through the character's mm-hmm. heads. Camera starts panning out and everyone starts hearing their own kind of quotes from earlier. And, and and it's this real like heavy moment because the whole room turns, camera pans out, pans out, pans out, pans out until, as we've alluded a couple of times, you learn these people are in a snow globe. The, the the long nailed Krampus hand places the snow globe on a shelf amongst uh, a plethora of many other snow globes and it keeps pulling out and they're everywhere. Yeah. And and honestly the 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 people in a slow, snow globe snow globe thing had less impact on me than some of the more just emotional beats there but sure. I wanted to contextualize a little bit because some of this feeds into scare stuff. I I feel like I'm I'm barreling past where things you might have is there anything you want to throw in here well in terms of scares uh i i would i'm just going to mention a couple of things in brief um i think first of all um i was not expecting beth max's sister to exit so early so her her exit like pretty much right up top before anybody understands what they're really up against Yeah. yeah she's she's gone because she had walked down the street to try to connect with her boyfriend uh, one thing that I don't think we mentioned is they wake up the next morning after Max had ripped up the letter and like all the powers out and none of the neighbors appear to have any power either. And everything. And so the sister leaves to trot down a few blocks to her boyfriend's house to see if she can connect. Well, she never makes it there. And then on the way back, she gets sort of uh, in a very ser- scary sequence, gets sort of claimed by Krampus. 
Um, again, at this point in the film, we don't really know what's really going on. So her exiting so early really just like, oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't realize. And it, it, it pivots very quickly what you were expecting from the film. The other thing that I will say is just like a big blanket scare is the attic battleground oh like yeah. just just everything they make it up to the, the the remaining family members make it up to this attic and there are all of krampus's minions are like you know sort of attacking them well that's those that's ways. those twisted toys yeah, yeah yeah exactly this gigantic jack-in-the-box a twisted sort that's of angel terrible figuring. oh my lord yes so oh my gosh i gotta tell you though yeah uh, it, it will pivot right back into it so you and i went to halloween horror nights last year uh-huh. Um, I also got the chance to go this year, but the year before that, my very first year going, I actually, and listeners can go back and listen to the very, you know, like episode, bonus, a bonus episode after episode 10 of The Fear of God is my time at that Halloween Horror Nights where they had a maze dedicated to Krampus. No. Oh, man, dude. And, and I might, I don't know yet, but I might play uh me going through that maze as a bonus at the end of this episode cuz sure. oh my goodness yes but it was it was terrifying <laughs> it was it was really really scary um and the the design was really impressive and uh so it's partially scares partially you know likes dislikes to say like i just really love the look of the film i love the look of yeah. everything the way all of the creatures are designed uh the way all of the scenes play out even something as subtle as like when dave keckner i'm not remembering his character's name and adam Howard. scott yeah, Howard. Yeah, Howard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Howard um, and Max's dad arrive at the boyfriend's house when they're searching for Max's sister. And just the way the whole room looks, like the way it's all blown out and the way certain things, there's frost on everything. It's just, it looks fantastic. It just absolutely has a, a great production design to it overall. But yeah, as far as a blanket scare, that attic sequence at about the two thirds mark is just is just perilous. <laughs> it's really terrifying. Well, I mean... It starts with that, like they enter the attic and it starts with a giant mandible mouthed jack in the box devouring one of the characters. And it is dreadful because that, I think you've gotten glimpses of Krampus at that point and you've seen the little gingerbread men, which are cutesy. That's the first real like monster viewing. Yes. And it's, yes, it is. It's potent. Well, I got caught up in my own storytelling there. I was trying to to establish just sort of the context. So, you know, all these characters effectively are in a snow globe. Well, that's what has happened is a blizzard type thing has hit this little neighborhood and their street and whatever. Well, there's this snowman army, this like deformed snowman army that keeps encroaching closer and closer to the house. Oh that's... Gosh. That's terrifying. Oh, it's nightmarish. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, scanning real quick. Uh, the snowman army, the creature design, the monster, and the, the jack in the box, the menagerie of monsters, the dark ending. Are you okay to start walking towards themes? Yeah, please. Yeah, let's go right in. And and I know you have a lot of thoughts on this movie, so I'm gonna well. I'm gonna defer I mean, to again, you. I'm just gonna vomit some stuff and like <laughs> mop up the floor. Um, Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, so. The moment this movie started to... Okay, so you've got Sentimental Max talking about Charlie Brown Christmas and wrapping gifts. And that starts playing the strings in my heart of like my children and thinking about how what are ways that I stifle wonder in them, you know? Mm, like, mm-hmm. so, so that starts there. 
<laughs> and then wow. you have that really heavy sort of dining room table sequence, which, which again, if you're talking about just subverting archetypes, this is just what is in every movie. You know, it's Home Alone. It's it's all these sure. different scenarios of like the chaotic, frenetic, no one's connecting, everyone's at each other's throats dinner table sequence. But because of kind of what you feel about Max so far, you're kind of bought into his little emotional journey. And it yeah. just goes real sideways because ultimately what he's after is real heartfelt and, and, and significant. Well, then he shreds his stuff. And so then this, these calamities start happening. And so the, the monsters in the attic take place. Well, then one of the final climactic sequences, action sequences is, you know, so there's a couple of distinctive groupings here. One is the, the toy monsters, and then there are actual like elves. And I think yeah. even o- Omi says it, doesn't she? She says elves or yeah. the elves oh, yeah. are here or something. Well, the ant Reed referred to earlier has started to show some courage and, and vanquishes some of these toy monsters. Well, then the whole wall of the den bursts in and these, these demented dark elves burst through. Well, they and and you've already sort of been conditioned okay they're they're taking characters out i don't know what's happening to them or where they're going or if this right, is going to be reconnected right. but they are taking characters out well yeah then the what i don't know 10 month old baby gets yeah gets yeah. picked gets gets picked up by a dark elf and amidst all this cacophony and the parents aren't even quite aware it's happening you hear the baby crying gets taken out of the the room and it's it's that's when i started to just be like oh god help me um (laughs) right you know and then so so it gets down to the aunt and one of her children of four i think yeah 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 so so the the last leg of the movie is the aunt who's played by that wonderful actress whose name i don't know but is in fargo season two allison tolman there you go thank you um great actor uh really endearing role uh she's tony collette's sister in the movie so she and one of her kind of teenage kids and tony collette and max well they're running through this kind of field of snow it's real dark and the her the aunt gets pulled under and you're like oh no like they're taking the moms like this is i mean my yeah, god it's, yeah. it's it's garrett and better watch out saying i want my mom mm. and the the cousin and max climb into a truck bed and tony collette is shoving them in and she has some final words for him that i can't recall well she gets taken now while the mothers are getting taken they're playing this real melodic sweet silent night and it yeah, is like yeah. devastating. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So all of those things are like playing on me. And and it can't be ignored this undercurrent of why are these actions happening? They're happening because of people's mm, it's not just plot. It's 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 these characters buy-in, you know? It's mm, it's, mm-hmm. it's the, the buy-in to well this is just how it is adam scott basically says that to max like max yeah. had the blow up oh, yeah. at the dinner table he comes up and he's like well you just love them because they're your family now he I don't, he's not glib like i just said that but 
there's almost that's what i mean this buy-in if there's cynicism anywhere in this movie it's there not in his statement but in this undercurrent of eh, it just is what it is this is how christmas is right right, right? Mm-hmm. and i think maybe at the end of it why i was so caught up and and sort of caught in this undertow is there's christmas how it is and there's christmas how it ought to be mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and and this is what i mean by this movie kind of presents the consequences of our emotional choices like we for better or worse we choose to beat the hell out of each other on a shopping spree yeah for for stuff we choose to ignore the mountains of plaque plaque like uh, on a tooth uh, of of family dynamics and relationships in favor of just getting through the next two days right like we choose those things we buy in to not dealing with it right because right because we want the photo we want the christmas card we want just to kind of be able to say well we spent that time with them and i really don't know i'm worried i'm gonna like any theme thematic stuff you have i'm just gonna like snow plow it no 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 Um, go right ahead go right ahead but so as i am prone to do sometime i just wrote this little like whatever here and i what i thought the phrase i thought read was what you watch at the end of this movie towards the end of this movie is the snowy wasteland of unextended grace. Mm. Like I, I am not a believer. I've, I've drifted far enough away from this. If I ever fully was in eternal conscious torment, it's really funny that Carlton Pearson comes up in this episode. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty shaky on a literal embodied Satan figure, but I believe very deeply in our capacity to create hell around us by the cumulative effect of unextended grace. Mm. And, you know, we talk, the, the phrase echo chamber has come up a lot in the last couple of years in terms of social media and our seeing the effects of it and, and, and who we talk to and what we talk about. And like the end of this movie is the final result of the echo chamber notion. Yeah, that is a non-permeable, isolated wasteland of only those you want around you, mm-hmm. in which you are cut off from a truer, more beautiful reality that does, as Omi says, require sacrifice. Yeah, and compromise, and effort, but that contains in it, unlike the snow globe of our own designing, contains in it the capacity for wonder for grace, for love, and for surprise. And, you know, I I came away from this movie with just kind of teary and like, cool, let's do Santa. Let's have it all. Because Mm. the question I kind of forced myself into was like, is Christmas, is the birth of Jesus, is the Immaculate Conception, is Santa anything other than a fierce, forced human will to hope? Mm. You know, like... Because without it, we're all just in our little snow globe and it's desolate. Like this word wasteland, I couldn't escape. Yeah. 
and and this is going to be a really random insertion here and and I understand that it's going to take a moment to unpack it. I was listening to uh a, a podcast recently with a host this woman named Whitney Phillips who's a doctor or has her doctorate and studies online behavior. Uh, specifically trolls, online trolls and which is really mm. fascinating in a movie about Krampus and his dark elf trolls. <laughs> right. And she says this thing in this podcast read that I wrote down is just this little throwaway sentence that she means as a throwaway sentence. But I heard it and I was like, Oh my God, that is, that's the gospel in everyday life. She's talked the whole, her whole thing is about the intersection, the bouncing off the overlapping of media as it exists in our world, journalism and trolls. And I'm yeah. not, I'm not unpacking this whatsoever other than to simply say, picture two snow globes that continually kind of glance off each other and mm, these two mm-hmm. things never interact though they keep wanting to subvert each other one wants to shed light on the other one wants to overtake the other the sentence she said read that was intended as just kind of throwaway. she says i think the only way out is a different way entirely mm. oh wow yeah 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 and and you look at a movie like this, which may may have much more. May, I may be reading much more into it than Michael Doherty intended. I don't know. Hmm. But you have this movie where we're just doing the thing that we've decided to buy into because it's what we've all decided corporately to buy into. Right. Right. And and it shows us the natural endpoint of that, which is, all right. Well, you got your people. You got your. You have your tribe yeah and that by the cumulative effect of the decisions and emotional choices you've made is all you will ever have Mm. and is there is there more a hell than only people that look and act like you like Mm. Mm -hmm. that the only way out is a christmas is a birth is a hope that is superhuman and unnatural and above and beyond and below and beneath and all around us and that way is entirely different than anything we think we are going to put our hands to 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 just sort of cook the dinner or give the gift or receive the gift or put up the right. tree. All those things are good and fine. I'm like really just going off here, so please. Jump yeah, no, point. but no, you know, I'm just all those things. All those things. What you what you say? I said I'm just letting you do it. Go I ahead. thought you. Yeah. I thought you said yeah. That's just something you do. I'm like oh no. Well, all right, you no, know my no, reputation no, 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 no. precedes me. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, I don't know, man. It just hasn't left me that we just, what's fascinating is the Krampus figure in the movie doesn't even really seem that you can correct me on this or or nuance this. I'm just sort of freestyling here. Doesn't even seem that malevolent. It's almost like, well, this is just, this is the choice you made. You, you, you kind of invited me here. Right, 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 right. Anyway. There's a playfulness. There's a playfulness to Krampus that uh, is, of course, somewhat twisted. But he doesn't just like go for the jugular on them. Like there's there's a um, sort of a layered predation that he that he builds in. And again, like a like a playfulness. Like he doesn't just go after Beth. He hops around on the roof rooftops and lets her see him, and then plants the other thing that's going to consume her instead. Um, I think. So, so you're you're scratching at a lot of interesting things here. Um, <laughs> I never know if you're like, oh my god, Nathan. No, no, of course not. No, I mean, I love your phrase. 
the wasteland of unextended grace. Like I love that idea. So I'm gonna so I'm gonna mention something that I brought up, uh, or that I that I sort of uncovered in my preparation for the film, and then I'll you know. Yeah. But, but first, I'm gonna sort of respond a little bit to what you're talking about. I think that this notion of there's two ways to that I receive what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. There's a way that we could call this. This is a bit reductive to what you were scratching at. There's a way that we could call just status quo maintenance. Right. Like you s- deemed it. This is what we've bought into. So this is just what we're doing. Right. And I think that a lot of times status quo is just kind of where people reside where they're not interested in trying to connect or love or appreciate the people in their little sphere. Um, This is just, you know, we're going to paint the numbers. uh, We're just going to go where we've always gone and do what we've always done. This is the, the rote sort of uh, behavior that we exhibit every Christmas season. Like Max's letter to Santa is heartbreaking. Yes. Because it's so beautiful. This notion that if it had never been read at the dinner table, obviously the plot would have gone a whole bunch of different places, but if it had never been read at the dinner table, think about that. This kid basically reaching out, it, it, it's a prayer. Like say yeah. what you will yes. about the connections yes. between whatever, yes. it's a prayer. He, he, he lists out uh, this kind of prayer-like letter, and there's a moment at which, and this is what's really tragic about it, there's a moment at which he no longer thinks that that will do any good and that that is that is uh, now become a a moment of mockery for him and i i grieve for any and every of us so i had a moment um wasn't expecting to talk about this uh hopefully this will be found relevant by the listeners so as we're recording this it was not long ago that 41st president of the united states george h w bush passed away and when he passed away, there were immediately like, you know, I listen to politics podcasts and all, all kinds of people were talking about this little tributes and stuff like that. Lots of very affirming and sort of glowing tributes to this man that in hindsight to our current political climate has has come to apparently be deemed very, you know, a man of, of sort of another time, like very gracious and, you know, like even people who disagreed with him sent, tend to like him, whatever. And man, Facebook can get ugly. <sighs> Facebook can get very ugly. So I'm hearing all of that for like a day and a half, two days after he passes away. And then suddenly I'm scrolling, and I won't give too many particulars because it's a mutual friend of ours. But I'm scrolling, and all of a sudden I see a mutual friend of yours and mine, Nathan, post, paraphrasing here, I'm so sick of all this crap of people paying tribute glowing tribute to President Bush um, and then rattles off these lists of things that he had done wrong. Right, right? sure. And I had, this, I had this moment that like you with your reaction to Krampus that I didn't know how to describe. But it, this is going to be violent imagery, but it is not far off what happened in my heart when I saw that. Not because of who it was, but because of what was being said. It was like you took my hope and my optimism dragged it out behind the barn and shot it in the face. That's very violent imagery, but I like, I was so arrested and upset 
by that level of derision being hurled at a at a dead man and where it brought me to in this I was trying to sort of unpack it with my wife and talk to her a little bit about like just sort of my feelings about those kinds of things and it and this is why I'm bringing it up here you talk about the wasteland of unextended grace yeah and it you have just put words I think a very appropriate words to what I was feeling. I was staring down the barrel of a place where none of us get any grace anymore. I was yeah. staring down yeah. the barrel of this man is dead and gone. Can't th- think whatever you want to think about what, and I'm, it just, it just coincidentally happens to sure. be a sure. former president. That's purely coincidental, but this man is dead and gone. All that he ever was is written in the history. And there are people privately who probably suffered greatly by decisions he made and people who privately were probably made richer, better people because of decisions he made. And we, by breaking people down into a binary, you're this or you're this or period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do not extend grace. We we don't do it even, and this is what was so upsetting, we don't do it even when they're dead and gone. Right. So Nathan, I know we don't do it while they're here. I know we don't. Right, right, right. We won't even do it when they're dead and gone, so we won't we won't be willing to do it across the dinner table or across the aisle. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny and uh, I I could see an easy another 45 minutes here, so buckle up, people. Um <laughs> it's funny you say that around the time of Billy Graham's passing, I really wrestled a lot because I was seeing LGBTQ peers posting of of how some of Graham's decisions, excuse me, um, actions, behaviors, attitudes had had damaged them, and 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 it really sort of caused a lot of pause in me. And and I think you are correct in what you are describing, and this is why the format of social media and it feels like such a dead phrase, but is so counterproductive just in so many ways that are that are meant to be good in us as humans is that i mean is is the best version of a life not learning to live in that tension it's learning to live in the tension between who we are and all the broken really ugly ways that is and who in our best moments we are really trying to be and wanting to be and striving to be and hear me like i'm not even I don't know enough about Bush senior who just passed away to have any real opinion. And I don't really, right. and I don't, this sounds glib, but I don't really care. It's not that I don't care about him. I just like, that's just not an, a totally interesting conversation, but, but what you're after is interesting, which is yes, we, the, the, the foghorn, the, the, the bullhorn of social media, which is a stupid platform that, is is the personification in the world of the wasteland of unextended grace um yes yes. you know is our ability to just be so reductive and so uh, summarize a person by their their worst things and and Mm -hmm. and i want i want to try to tie this all together not towards an ending per se but towards a like cohesiveness two thoughts one so much of this movie's consequences are a result of max shredding his note and i think in the spirit of the emotional consequences of our actions mm, or 
the manifest consequences consequences of our emotional actions. There's a difference here. Yeah. There's behavior right. and then there's emotional activity, inner life. How do you position yourself? So what happens to Max? He gets devastated. He gets stomped on. He gets emotionally. Uh, he gets run through the ringer by his blood relatives. And what does he do? He shreds what you might call his dream, which feels a little rote. But then you have Omi throughout the movie, keep the fire hot. Mm, mm-hmm, what happens mm-hmm. when the fire goes out, Krampus shows up and takes He you. comes down. Right, well, right. Is, there more, is there a better definition in terms of our inner life than the fire? Like mm. keep, keep that inner self, keep those embers stoked. It doesn't mean it's going to be roaring out of control or, or roaring whatever nonstop. It just means you have to maintain that so that thus when we shred when we put out our fire as max does to himself we become prey you use that good word predation in terms of what krampus does krampus is just he's just there doing what he does like you almost can't fault him and this is what i mean by the cumulative effect of a negative inner life in concert with those around us and this is where christmas is such a punch through the walls of reality. Right. Because it's sort of saying there can also be a cumulative good. Mm, mm-hmm. But you have to, mm, I want to be careful here. Cause by no means am I saying like the presence of Jesus in our life is because a, a result of our good having been done. Right. It's, it's, it's no, not right. Right. But I think this is random and it may seem odd here, but it's something that's been really it's been the fire in me lately. I think there's a big difference between a cognizance of Jesus and even what many would articulate as a following of Jesus and an embodying of Jesus. Right. So I, th- I think there's a real difference and maybe books to be written on, on the, the semantics of following Jesus and embodying Jesus. And I think as you quoted a lovely passage last week that always is real meaningful to me when I hear it. And that's when I was a child, I I spoke like a child and, and, and and that when I was a man, I put away childish things and I'm going to challenge you and I here as men, as adults, as fathers, as husbands, like I don't think putting away childish things as a man means don't engage childlikeness. I think it means embody good Mm, mm -hmm. embody Jesus embody so that cumulative effects, and we're not going to get it right all the time, by no means. Right, right. But the cumulative effects of hope-bent interior choices create good in the world. Stupid things right. like, I have a, a peer who I knew had a sensitive Thanksgiving afoot. Mm. Um, and I, I reached out the day after and read, I I say this not to pat myself on the back. I don't do things like that. I'm not that thoughtful. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I I hear you. I'm that thoughtful to like two people. One of them is you. (laughs) No, I know. No, you know, know. like, like I'm not that thoughtful, but as I'm trying to put away childish things and let myself be embodied, be an embodiment it forces you to say, okay, well, what are 
what are ways to accumulate a goodness about one's life and oneself and into the world i know this is like really weird just like rabbit trails we're following here but no no i, I mean i understand we're well what we're really scratching at and i mean there there's a mountain of things that could be said about this and and so maybe we can begin to wind down if only for the fact that this conversation should never end uh, not mm, about the subject of Krampus, great. but but like this is, you know, that we don't have to wrap a bow on this conversation. This is something that, as we enter into this holiday season, recapturing the wonder of the incarnation, recapturing the wonder of the spirit of this season, uh, may be as simple as saying, "No, I, I need to constantly recapture the the childlikeness, not childishness, but the childlikeness." Um, that is present for me. You know, there's a there's a another passage of scripture that I could read the greater context in which it it, it exists, because I think that it is. Um, I think that it's that obviously there's value to that, but I just like the phrasing of Titus chapter two and verse eleven, uh, which simply just says, "For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people." Hmm. Just very simply, for the we've talked, we're talking about this you know, the wasteland of unextended grace and our choice that's ahead of us is um, is basically will we continue striving for what is good and right and, and hopeful and, and wondrous about this season or uh, and about the world? You know, we're talking next week, and this is when we'll get into this, but we're talking next week about A Christmas Carol and, you know, that book uses the word and the season of Christmas in ways that could and should be applied in greater contexts. One of one of Scrooge's basic promise at the end is, you know, I will honor Christmas in my heart and keep it all the year. Well, it's just a day. It's just a season. But what he's scratching at is there are elements of this season that should saturate my very being. And I would say the same thing about this notion of grace and this notion of reaching towards goodness and reaching towards hope and reaching towards forgiveness and reaching towards understanding all of these things that should saturate every fiber of who we are, not just be encapsulated to a singular context of this time or place or relationship. Um, I think I think we should constantly be striving towards allowing that. We should constantly, obviously, see what I'm about to say as metaphor, but we should constantly be bugging people to watch Charlie Brown's Christmas and wrap Christmas presents. Yes. We should come and, in, and, in different contexts. And I know, you know I'm getting ahead of us here and I'm probably stealing some of your thunder for next week and I don't want to do that except to make a point here. What is devastating about Krampus, the movie, this movie, is it states there is a ceiling on your capacity to choose to bend towards good. Mm. Mm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. your opportunity will end yes. and be finite. And the gloriousness of a story like A Christmas Carol is to say it there isn't. And, yeah, and, right. and you will, that opportunity is available whenever. And I'm not even like preaching because what I'm trying to articulate isn't. There's an opportunity to follow Jesus in this life and that opportunity will never end. That may be in fact be true. What I'm trying to articulate to those who have ears to hear is there is never not an opportunity to embody Jesus into the world because you talk about incarnation. And I think if there's anything we take away from incarnation, it's that we 
are it as well. And we yeah. Yeah. put it forth as well. And and ops observing the way we've always done it is buying into the system. Choosing mm-hmm. choosing to alter the system, choosing to, as Whitney Phillips on this podcast says, find a whole other way out is our work. And that is the fire we have to keep hot. Right, right. Lest we just get overtaken by the minions. So sit with that. <laughs> sit with that, listeners. And then I'm about to what I hope will be raise oh. Nathan's spirits tremendously. So I mentioned in passing earlier, I'm going to say this, and then we should wind it down and, and okay. go to our friend. Um, I found in my research that there was a correlative comic book called The Spirit of St. Nicholas, or the sorry, The Shadow of St. Nicholas, that was released in conjunction with Krampus, uh, written by the director. So this ending, this snow globe ending, has sparked two threads of fan theories. One, and predominant, is exactly what you and I just alluded to. It's the reading you got from the film, it's the reading I got from the film, which is, they're stuck. They are forever doomed to be in this snow globe repeating Christmas morning in some sort of twisted, perverse eternity. Okay? Um, There is another fan theory that says the snow globe was merely Krampus's window into keeping an eye on them to make sure Max kept his promise. Tying that back to Omi and, you know, basically as if, like, you know, that Krampus will constantly sort of be watching out for them to make mm-hmm. sure that they cherish what they've learned and what they've gleaned along the way. Um, well, the director has refused, understandably so, to resolve the tension for fan theories, for those two fan theories. But, and I have not read it, presumably that comic book tilts the interpretation into the direction of a window into watching over them versus they're trapped forever to repeat Christmas morning in some sort of twisted, eternal, you know, construct. Mm. Um, and uh, and again, that's we're just going by the text of the film, as it were, so take of that what you will, but I wanted to end... Uh, your train of thought, which I think is really substantive, with a little nugget of hope that maybe even in the shadow of St. Nicholas there is, uh, you know, a hope for second chances with sacrifice, and we'll get mm. into all that much more uh, in next week. Please go read Christmas Carol, everybody. You'll be better for it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot to consider here, and I think, again, we could talk about a lot more, but uh, I think that's a good time, if you're okay, to go ahead and and bring in our good friend old uh, Krampus S. Pumpkins, or David S. Krampus. Jeez, <laughs> oh, I got a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to do something a little different. Uh, t- two weeks ago on Black Christmas, we kind of threw, uh, threw Nathan a curveball. Um, and then last week, because we were talking to the director, we weren't going to dare rate his film right in front of him. <laughs> Hopefully you all understood that. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> So, but uh, what we're going to do now and probably for the foreseeable future is instead of giving, because, you know, we just constantly landing on sevens, instead of doing uh, a United metric for David S. Pumpkins, Nathan and I are going to still measure these films by style, scares, and substance, but we're going to give you individualized ratings. So Nathan will give it a score and I will give it a score, and then you may take that for what you will. Well, so, and, and to unpack that a hair, I'm sorry to cut you off rudely there, to unpack that a hair, you know, most people who've been following us for some time appreciate David S. Pumpkins. We love David S. Pumpkins and want to figure out a way to, for him to continue. 
and Reed will be quick to say, Nathan, this is all your fault. And I'll, I'll own yeah. that. Um, but you know, the, as an idea using David S pumpkins on the show was meant to be like, Hey, what, what's the fear of God metric on a given episode. And the longer we've sat with it, the more we've got the same rating over and over the more <laughs> and hear me y'all. I'm almost 40 years old. It takes me a long time to learn stuff. So, you know, I'm owning that. Um, I was telling Reed recently uh, more as, Hey, I'm such a dummy for this not having clicked earlier. Like we're naturally picking stuff to cover that we're going to lean towards liking which makes right. sense that most of our ratings are favorable. You know, you're gonna, <laughs> you're, you're gonna have your maze and your raws, which I'm not going to be real fans of that Reed might be, but overall, most stuff we're going to be pretty favorable to. Um, but we didn't want to completely jettison the pumpkins. Um, so what made more sense is, well, Hey, let's it, perhaps a less fear of God stamp of rating and more a where does Nathan fall in this movie? Where does Reed fall in this movie is a bit sure, more of an right. interesting metric than purely, Oh, look, they gave another movie a seven. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But we're still going to follow the same format style yes. scares and substance, but so, one through tens, right? One through tens now. Yes. So yes. M- me on style, I give Krampus. I think it's a really effective film. I'm much more favorable to it on a second viewing than I was in the first viewing. Uh, and I'm I'm gonna give this a four. Or sorry, out of <laughs> sorry, I'm so used to that. Uh, so I'm gonna. I know old habits die Translate. Hard. Yeah, I'm gonna give this a seven and a half out of ten for style. Well, I didn't know we were doing halfsies now. <laughs> we're always doing halfsies. Okay. Um, for style, I was. I was ready to be negative um, and found myself very... What's going to be hilarious is if even with this new change, we all end up on (laughs) seven all the time. Um, I'm going to give this, uh, in terms of style, did I like it? I liked it a lot. I'm going to copy read and give it a seven. (laughs) So awesome. Uh, For scares, you know what? No, I'm going to take that back. I'm going to give style an eight for me. Um, for scares, I'm actually going to dial back and and do more like a six uh, because I do think its general tone is incredibly effective and creepy, um, but it's not like it's more fairy tale scary than like horrific scary. Agreed. And I'm going to join you in your six for scares. Yep. Cool. And for the same reasons. For substance? So for substance, again, uh, I was more enamored with this film uh, this second time around. I'm actually going to land at an eight for substance. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't feel like I need to qualify that very much because we've you know, we've had a whole episode about it. So yeah. Um, I, I mean, it is clear, and I don't think it's just me. This movie stirred up a whole lot. I'm hesitant to go full 10, so I'm going to go with a nine on the substance meter um (laughs) all right (laughs) me too me too so basically (laughs) basically i give it a straight up seven like a 7.1 and nathan tell him what you give it the (laughs) (laughs) 7.7 i actually tried not to do it you're doubling down who knows whatever you guys know we like things (laughs) <laughs> that's true so so but still you know that just kind of differentiates for you i'll just round up to an eight i'm gonna round it up to an all eight right. cause, you know. all right i'll round down to a seven i give it a seven you give it an eight yes um so uh so yeah 
Um, well, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Um, and uh, please, 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 this is our third installment in hashtag What the Dickens. This is our uh, Christmas horror future. Next week is the big culmination. It's going to air on Christmas Day. So get ready. Read Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol to Book. And Nathan and I will see you next week. And Nathan. Rita, I don't know if you realize it. This is our penultimate 2018 episode. I know. I know. That's, That's crazy. What that a, is oh nuts. Oh, my gosh. Nope, I can't even. That's crazy. Do we That's need crazy. to announce to them that Christmas Carol is the last episode? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So not only does Christmas Carol fall on December twenty fifth, but because of when the Tuesdays fall, it is oh, I also meant, the like, final last episode. Yeah, it's the final episode of the year. Oh, um, I meant, like so last episode. Oh. <laughs> well, now I feel sad. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Two thousand nineteen. Here we come. Here we come. What the Dickens? <laughs> so uh nathan thank you as always for having yeah, this conversation really. with me man i really appreciate it and uh thank you all for listening as always we will see you next week happy holidays merry christmas everybody The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God. You can like and follow us on Facebook, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. You can follow us on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast. Go to morethanonelesson.com for show notes, or to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. I got my fish. Oh, my. This has got to be, for me, the most impressive exterior of a maze I've seen so far. I mean, we have a lot more to visit, but... This is incredible. And this guy right here. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. You gotta ask my wife. I do not know. I do not know how that counts. Oh, Grandpa Snows. Okay, that's comforting. All right, Jason, are you first or am I first? Let's go together. Let's go together. Something is not. Oh, wow. Wow. No, 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 no. No, 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 oh my gosh, oh my, oh my, oh my, all of these walls look like they give way, that one does, that one does, okay, okay, that one does, maybe not all of them do, but that one did, okay, wow, Wow, man. That felt so good, that ice cherry thing. Oh, no. I have a feeling more than one of these are real. No way, no. Oh, my gosh. That is... Gingerbread! Gingerbread!
incredible. Oh my God. Gingerbread man. Gingerbread. My hat, my friend, is drenched in sweat.